All This podcast is brought to you by All This International, supplying your expert AI and digital transformation staffing needs across the US and Europe. Today, you are listening to our AI in Action series, where leading minds in AI from across the world share their story, success, and advice. AI in Action cuts through the hype and explores the true impact of artificial intelligence in our world today. You're listening to the All This Podcast. I am Mark Kelly. Today, we've got Neil Redmond. Neil is the director at PwC Cyber Advisory. Neil, great to have you on the show today. Mark, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. So, Neil, before we jump into your work and the role in PwC and all things cyber, tell us a little about your journey to now. It's been a long and winding road. I've got about 25 years experience in industry at the moment, 10 of which should be in cyber. I've been in a number of roles between team manager and director in different professional services firms and currently with PwC. In between, I've been the CISO of Huawei in Ireland as well. I did eyes in telecoms in terms of enforcement and in the industry itself with, with air. So I have a bit of experience across the telecoms technology sector. And where I am at the moment as director of PwC, I lead out in our governance, risk and compliance and public sector engagements as well. So I, I would be the man who would lead them out. Um, I have a great team behind me, about 50 odd individuals at the moment in, in our team. So we, we have a good team, good expansion across a number of different sectors. It's been a long winding journey, but it's been a, a very fruitful journey. You, you, I've learned an awful lot along the way in terms of cybersecurity, IT risk and OT risk as well. And that kind of accumulates in, in the role at the moment as director of PwC. There's a lot of varied roles within that. Tell us what governance and risk means to organizations and some of the things that you help implement and get companies up to scratch with. Um, if you look at the bigger picture at the moment, in terms of the European Union and the way the world is going, the European Union has what they call a digital security strategy and a digital strategy for the European Union over the next number of years. And um, the way they can manage that, implement that, is by bringing new rules and regulations for a number of different industries, be it financial services, be it telecoms, media technology, or pharmaceuticals, for example. So there's an awful lot of technology out there that's now regulated. Potentially, it hasn't been done in, in previous years. So in terms of governance risk compliance, it's basically any organization has to be in a position to manage their risk. That can be a cyber risk, an IT risk, an information security risk, or in terms of industry and an operational technology risk. And the whole purpose of this is to understand where trouble could come from um, across your network and into your business, and then at the same time to be in a position where you can deal with that trouble. So it's really to get the client to understand where they come within, say, the regulatory regimes. If you take one for specifically, it would be the, um, the NIS directive, which would be an information security directive. A lot of the companies in Ireland, a lot of industries will be now covered by the expanded director that's going to come out this year. And by that I mean they're now subjected to more kind of reviews from internal government departments such as Department of Communications. So there's obligations on a lot of people, a lot of these companies I should say, in terms of the licenses, that they need to be mature and compliant with the regulations of their specific industry. And the way that they can do so is by having a very good governance and risk function that's aware of the regulations that are in their specific market at that particular time and the regulations that are going to come into the market, say, in the next number of months as well, for example, the Digital Resilience Act, DORA. And they must make sure that they're up to date on that information and that they are aware of the bigger picture as well in terms of the European Union. So that's really why the regulations are there and at a very high level what 
companies can do to address them. Neil, could you give me a little bit of an overview about some of the threats that are there? And maybe if you could paint a picture about the different types of threats that organizations could encounter. And I know this is progressing all the time. Yes, it's, it's an interesting question. If you look at, say, the last 12 to 18 months, ransomware is probably the best, biggest one of all and probably the most well-known, given what happened with the agency last year as well and a number of other agencies across the state and across Europe as well. So ransomware is one, it's probably the one that most companies are vulnerable to and probably the one that causes the most damage as well. If you look at a ransomware, how it occurs, it's usually through an email that's sent to somebody, they click on the link, they don't think, and suddenly you're infected with a ransomware that can lock you out of your files and sometimes can just completely wipe your servers and your systems. That's probably the most prevalent threat at the moment. It's one that companies need to be aware of. It's one you can't prepare for and one you can't deal with, which I'll get to in a minute. But there are also threats there, such as the dial of service threats, where a third party tries to prevent users accessing your website or accessing your domain in a way to extort money from you, or in some cases just to do it to, in terms of a political message being sent. Then we have theft and data as well from companies as well, in terms of either physical theft or digital theft as well. But probably the key one is, I say, is accidental, accidental loss. In terms of data loss, people say losing a laptop or losing a USB key or sending an email to the wrong party, for example, is an issue. It's probably not a, a, getting as much publicity as, as it possibly should do compared to ransomware. It's probably not as sexy as ransomware in terms of data loss. But if you have a good, robust system in place for data, accidental data loss, you will find an awful lot of your risks are diminished quite quickly. If you go back to ransomware there, in terms of prevention, it's education. So education across teams and across the workforce to explain to them the risks with technology as well as the benefits of technology is a key fundamental for a lot of HR departments and I'd say information security departments as well. For ransomware, if a person is aware that they, they shouldn't click on an email from an unknown, unknown source or even a suspicious source, never click on a link embedded within an email because you have no idea what's going to happen. Don't use third-party software that's not authorized by your employer. Don't go out looking for cheap software or free software that usually is a payback in terms of the payment or your company's data is the payment. So there's never anything free when it comes to IT software to use in the business world. And we need to follow the procedure set down by our information security teams and the HR team as well. We often find it's this little innocuous poke of the URL has brought a company down. And the unfortunate consequence of that is reputation damage as well. A lot of people don't realize that companies do lose reputation as a result of some of these incidents. And sometimes companies do go out of business as a consequence of losing their reputation. Neil, when you look at this, you're very focused about mitigating it. And I think you've had it under, there were some three banners where you had process, technology and people about yeah. how you can actually look to mitigate it. And they're actually very practical. Would you mind sharing with the listeners how those three underpin it? Yeah, the way in, in Professor Sarah's, particularly PwC, we look at things, it's a triumvirate. So we have process, technology and people. And oftentimes we find people are focused purely on technology, that technology is the panacea for all our problems and it'll wipe away all our issues. It actually won't. It will actually bring more issues to your table. So if you look at process, you need to underpin your cybersecurity within your organization. You need to understand what does cybersecurity do. So you need to have a, a policy process controls in place that you're staff are aware of, that they're aware of their obligations and they're aware how to be compliant. That's your process. 
the people piece then is what people are skilled and trained to do so they can identify a risk they can deal with a risk and they can manage a risk if it were to occur in real time in a way that minimizes any damage to the organization the third point then is technology and i want to emphasize it's the third point and that usually just helps to make the process of the people more automated it doesn't in itself give you anything other than automation or functionality that will make life easier for you the process and the people are the two key points of everything i always say to all my clients technology comes way later down the chain of command so for me process and people are key to independent cybersecurity in organizations you are listening to the oldest podcast when you're looking to scale your team, or if you are interested in showcasing your company in a future episode, reach out today. Or if you're in the market for a new role, visit our website to view open positions, www.aldis.com. When you're looking at areas that people can make impact straight away, is there any some basic steps that can actually set the ball rolling? There are ways of working that makes life easier for an organization. And you don't necessarily need to invest all that much money to doing so. It's about knowing your risk within your organization. So for a lot of our organizations, if you're able to work out your assets, what assets do you rely on, for example? What assets, if you're, say, part of a global firm, what assets are actually held overseas that you're really reliant on? What assets at a local level you're reliant on? And what assets are key? So what we'd always advise our clients to do is categorize your assets initially. So by categorizing assets, the process we mentioned previously kicks into place because then you know what your processes actually are, what your processes rely on, and then you understand which people have an impact in those processes too. So then you're more familiar with roles and responsibilities. And by having a clear, clearly defined role and responsibility and a clearly defined asset management or even base for your critical assets as well, you're in a better position to understand where your risk could potentially lie. In terms then, you want to make sure that once you categorize the classified data, that the right people get access to that data. So you don't have, you try to minimize your data loss as well. So having a good data classification policy and technology in place is key. But also when people join, make sure they have the right access to the right controls to do their particular job without impeding them in doing their job. So like identity access management is an area of focus for a lot of companies nowadays. By identity access management or IAM, People can get access to a file that's required for their job and only the relevancy for their job. If they move to a different role within the organization, then their access rights are changed. And that can be done on an automatic basis by certain technologies. A lot of organizations will use tools like Workday, for example, to recruit, to hire, and to pay people through and to manage staff performance. Again, you can link in Workday to a number of different tools, such as Cellpoint, for example, to ensure that the right people have the right access at any time. It's also easily auditable too, so you can do recertification of roles on a regular basis. That's what you want to do. In terms of data loss prevention, as I said earlier on, it's good communications is critical here. If people are aware of what their expectations of them are, they know that they shouldn't necessarily click on a link that they're not familiar of. That if their CEO out of the blue sends them an email demanding payment to be sent to a particular supplier, Again, their census should tell them there's an issue here and they should be in a position to verify and to check. So it's an open, transparent organization is key to defeating any type of information security risk. If people feel empowered that they can challenge back and say that this doesn't look right or doesn't sound right, 
then they can get the correct level of authentication either via technology or via person in terms of getting onto the CEO's office and saying, did this female originate from your office? By those small checks, you can actually prevent an awful lot of issues occurring in real time. And we often find with clients, it's people feel either disempowered or frightened to go to the senior management with an issue and then simply click on the button or perform an act that will actually lead to more danger to your organization. So again, good communications and transparency is key. Authentication obviously is underpinning everything that we do in the IT world and the information security world. So for a competent organization, that good authentication is definitely a key driver to removing a lot of your threats. By having good authentication, be it through multi-factor authentication and so forth, it means if someone were to breach your inner sanctum, they can't go any further because you've got so many demarcation places, so many restrictions in place. It just makes life really hard for a third party to gain access to your crucial data if you authenticate correctly. A lot of people will use technology in their phones, be it authenticator apps, and that are actually very good. And they do help organizations to give the correct level of access to the right people. But it also means that as an information security professional, you do have a certain level of kind of, what's the word I'd say, comfort in knowing that your organization is taking the threat of authentication seriously and that you put something in place to do it in a more constructive manner. But again, you need to have the process in place that people are aware of why they use a multi-factor authentication. So it all comes back to having good communications, a good process and a good understanding of where the risk lies, how to categorize your risk, how to classify your risk and how to manage the risk. So for example, with data protection, we have a lot of legislation at the moment if people are aware that the data protection risk is high for their organization, then a policy has to be put in place or a process in place to deal with that. You don't necessarily go for new technology and put it in place because there's nothing supporting that technology. So again, good communications and a good process are the key to ensuring that your risk is managed within an organization. Again, there's multiple teams involved in this. So this isn't just an information security problem. This is a genuine team problem across the organization. So you do have a data protection team, you should have a legal team, you have you know, your engineering teams, your product teams, your marketing teams, your HR teams. They should all be involved in the categorization and classifying of assets within your organization as well. Because what you want to be in a position to do is if the worst case were to occur and your organization is attacked and data is removed, the value that data, first of all, who could be impacted by that data. But additionally, if you're prevented from accessing that data, you know how crucial that data is to your organization. It might be crucial to your IT team, but not necessarily to your marketing team. So again, for business criticality, is that really an issue? And oftentimes we've found in the past that the IT team seems to take a very focused look at its data and what it wants, but not necessarily on the product data that the production teams want or the developers want, for example. So it's a matter of classifying that. What I really like about what you said, Neil, is it's the foundation is is the process and then the communications piece is crucial because it empowers everyone in the organization but also it also there's the responsibility and the accountability is shared because rather than that's IT's problem or that's their department or you know it's got nothing to do with me where I'm sure we've heard these lines before but involving everybody within the process you're, you're all accountable because you've been involved in helping set up the solution and and again Mitigate is the key term that I've taken from 
today because it's very hard to ever say you're 100% secure because the chances are there could be one incident that opens everyone up. But how do you actually mitigate that and manage in a systematic way a response that everyone actually can uh, listen to, work towards and feel? feel I like that word comfort, knowing that you've actually proactively taken into consideration the importance of the security of your organization. It was a big ransomware that came out from Russia to attack Ukraine five years ago. And there's a collateral damage with a number of big organizations, including the shipping line, Maersk. And at the time, responsibilities across a number of companies, and I think the world has changed since that petty, and to your point there, we're seeing more people get more involved as a team and not necessarily this an IT issue. I think what a lot of companies found five years ago was it wasn't an IT issue. IT played part of the role in, in helping mitigate the issue, but the production teams found that they couldn't actually work. And, and they found that their roles, whilst they could take a standoff approach initially, they had to get more and more involved. And you find a lot of organizations nowadays that's not necessarily the IT team who are responsible for security, it's the entire team that's responsible for security. So from the C-suite down to the guy in the desk you know, at reception, or the girl at the desk reception, it's their role as well. So if I can give an example, someone coming in off the street, a random stranger, not expected for a meeting, if they don't check out, they shouldn't get past the first barrier. It's the first line of defense physically would be your reception desk. If somehow they manage to get through, then the second line of defense would be your elevators or your lifts to kind of get into to the lift, for example, or is it coded against people accessing the lifts? If they try to then to avoid that, can they go up the stairwell? If you get into a stairwell, can they get access to a floor? Do they need to access, a swipe access card to get into the floor? So it's all these things you need to think of. It's not necessarily an IT issue. It's also physical security. And additionally, then, from people outside in, the, in an office environment as well, we all are a lot of shared offices when we go back into an office. So it's, it's being aware of your surroundings as well, discussing products, discussing plans, and also discussing the technology that you use. If the third party can see that you use, a, say, an iPhone and it has Okta on it, for example, that gives people information straight away. So again, it's a whole team game here. You need to be really aware of what people are looking for. Why are they looking for the information off me? Again, on Twitter as well, if someone likes a tweet or something you do, or a Facebook profile, someone wants to friend you, just be aware of why they want to do it. Because oftentimes people are looking for information and the information can lead to information being traded on the dark web or it can lead to more information being gathered to gain access to an organization. We've, we think we're all aware of during COVID, in the early days of COVID and the, and the vaccines, um, there was an awful lot of digital espionage going on in terms of hacking, attempts hacking of pharmaceuticals to try and steal the recipes for the various vaccines. People were aware of that at the time and people took precautions, but that was a team game that people took precautions. It wasn't just IT themselves, developers, it was the chemists, the production teams, it was the marketing teams, it was the financial teams, the HR teams, it was the communications teams. Everyone had a role to play in ensuring that the company was protected from outside influence and outside attacks. And similarly with any small organization or large organization, it's not just IT or security or physical security whose role it is to protect the organization. It's all our roles to protect your organization. Everybody has to be, to be clear of that. I've been chatting with Neil Redmond. Neil is a director of PwC's Cyber Advisory Practice in Ireland. Neil, thank you very much for your time today. Mark, thanks very much. Lovely to have this conversation with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Aldis Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any Android podcast of choice.
You can also head over to our website, www.aldis.com to listen to more podcasts, view our open roles, and stay up to date with industry news. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for more great episodes coming very soon.